0: My dear beloved brothers and sisters, it is with a heavy heart that I come to you today. Excuse me. I come to you now with all open mindedness and an open heart to tell you of the truth of the so-called self-proclaimed prophet of the Lord even Joseph Smith himself. I declare openly this man was a fraud. He married other men's wives, took children to wife, practice a pra, <coughs> excuse me, <practiced> in <coughs> practice an abominable
1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Children of all ages, we proudly bring to you Mormonism live. Welcome back, RFM, for another episode. That looks like That sounded like Gordon Bittner Hinckley. That sounded more like Gordon Hinckley than Gordon Hinckley. (laughs) Even the clearing of the throat and apologizing. (laughs) That was good. So uh, here we are tonight. Tonight, we're going to talk again about the recent changes uh, in the handbook. And we've got a few that we're going to go through. There is the energy healing, and we're waiting for a special guest to uh, show up here in the links here in a couple of minutes, um, Wendy Jensen. But we're going to talk about energy healing. She had a really beautiful post on Facebook regarding that. Yes, she we're, did. We're going to talk about transgender uh, individuals and what the handbook has to say about that. And I think there's an important point to make there. Uh, abuse, prejudice, and seeking information from reliable sources. And then and then, if we've got some time left to turn it over to you for some things that you wanted to share as well. Just want to say hello to all the uh, viewers out there and listeners if you're listening after Uh, today when it's published as a podcast audio uh, episode and uh, just want to reach out to all the viewers and listeners and just say again uh, and and we're going to harp on it because it's it's how you and I are going to keep doing this for years and years deconstructing Mormonism for people helping them to understand how this stuff how messy this thing is and and understanding these issues um, inside and out but if people could donate if you can five bucks a month ten bucks a month If you can do more, 50 bucks a month or 100 bucks a month, uh, become a a recurring donator or at least a one time donation. Go to MormonismLive.org, click the donate button, and uh, throw a few pennies in the cookie jar. And uh, RFM, any thoughts from you before uh, before maybe we dive into one of these issues before Wendy uh, comes on?
2: No, I'm really excited, really excited to talk tonight about energy healing, which is now officially per the handbook verboten in the LDS church. There is no energy healing for you. Come back one year. And I saw that and you know, I'm not particularly into the whole energy healing gig, but what I found out first off, the first thing I presumed was that because the LDS church was actually calling out energy healing by name, in the handbook, it usually speaks in vagaries and and gauzy kinds of terms. But when they call out something by name, it lets me know that it's really a burr under their saddle, a bee in their bonnet, if you will. And so, energy healing, obviously, something that they're concerned about. Now, it may have something to do with um, a rather notorious person dealing with energy healing, Julie Rowe and i only say notorious because of her association with chad daybell yeah and so i know i think she's taken some steps to try and disassociate herself from from chad from brother chad but for obvious reasons but nevertheless what i was interested to find out was that there are a number of people out there who represent a significant body of the church and most of them women i think who are practicing different types of healing which could be called called energy healing and somehow I saw it's Wendy. What's her what's her full name of it Wendy Hanson, Wendy, Wendy Wilcox, Jensen, Jensen, excuse me. Um, I did not follow her. I don't follow her Facebook, but somebody pointed it out to me. And she had posted a very articulate post back in December when the news release came about about these changes in the handbook. And I saw that and I thought, wow, it's very long. Uh, we weren't going to read the whole thing but especially the part about how this relates to the church. I'm not really so interested on the show and getting into the nuts and the bolts of how energy healing works. I'm sure there's a variety of different ways and I'm sure it can get very complicated. And that's not really the point of the show. The point of the show is to talk about how it relates to the church and why the church is responding to it in this way and what it shows about the leadership of the church in making these kinds of proscriptions in the new handbook. And um, then I talked to you about it and you said, well, I know Wendy, Wendy's a friend of mine. And I thought, well, great. It would be wonderful if we could get her on the show instead of just reading her um, her post, which is what I planned on doing a couple of paragraphs from her post and to have her come on and represent what it is that she thought about this new change in the handbook. And so I've gone and actually I can read this to you. I'm pretty sure I have it up here. Okay, here is from the handbook. Now, this is thirty eight point seven point eight of the handbook. It's not a legalistic religion. 38.7.8, paragraph four. Church members are discouraged from seeking miraculous or supernatural healing from an individual or group that claims to have special methods for accessing healing power outside of prayer and properly performed priesthood blessings. See, they got the four Ps in there. Outside, Actually, five if you include power. Healing power, out power outside of prayer and properly performed priesthood blessings. These practices, there's a six, are often referred to as energy healing. They put it in quote unquote, they call it out by name, often referred to as energy healing. Other names are also used. Such promises for healing are often given in exchange for money. And we know that you can get anything you want in this world, Bill Real, for money. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. You can buy anything in this world with money, RFM.
2: Including apparently some some healing because, yeah. I mean, God knows you're not going to get it from the priesthood with a priesthood blessing, at least not if we're to judge from general conference talks on the subject. So then I reached out and uh, any chance that while I'm over here tap dancing that Wendy may have made her appearance somewhere? She is,
1: she's on the screen right now if you look RFM.
2: Oh, I'm sorry. I was looking over here at my notes. I am cursed with only one screen. I may have to rectify that at some point. Yeah, I'm working with two. Wendy Jansen. Hi.
3: Hello. Nice to meet you guys. I love you guys.
2: Well, thank you. I am so impressed you too, with Wendy. your post. And I'm sure well, Bill's talked you. to you. I haven't talked to you. I've never met you before.
3: Well, nice to meet you.
2: Well, Bill, I know she's your friend. Do you want yeah. to cross-examine her or shall yeah. I?
1: No, let's do it. I'll, I'll let you <laughs> start the interrogation. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you take a break from your daytime activities. Yeah. Uh right. Wendy, first off, glad to have you on. <laughs> appreciate thank you. Yeah, yeah, here. yeah, appreciate it. Um to have this conversation, as RFM pointed out, he f- found your uh, comment on Facebook, your post on Facebook, and he shared it with me and said, hey, there's this Wendy chick that's uh, that's put this post on Facebook. And I said, I know Wendy. I said, I've <laughs> spent some time with Wendy. I consider her a friend. Uh, I bet we can reach out and get her on the program and uh, really appreciate you giving us some of your time. Wondering maybe if you could read your post and then take a few minutes afterward and talk to us about what you see as the crux of the issue here, and what Mormonism you think is trying to do, and maybe some of the damage it's going to cause uh, by doing this particular section. And, and I also want to say before you start, R.F.M. and I last week we talked about how the church was putting an emphasis on the handbook over its own scriptures, and we thought that was going to be the big moment of the night. And the reality is, most of the people participating in the live stream in their comments. Um, as well as afterward on Facebook and other places it was the energy healing part of our conversation that seemed to be really? striking a resonance with the viewers and listeners So with with uh, no further ado uh, by all means Wendy share with us some of your thoughts
3: Okay well, um, well do you just want me to read the what I what I had posted first?
1: Yeah and then share some okay. comments with us.
3: okay LDS authorities. What a disappointment when you updated your policy handbook of instruction for the leadership of the church, you discouraged members from participating in energy healing. Your policy minimalized the definition of energy healing to the supernatural and or the magical. You're so, are you so out of touch that you cannot see the advancements throughout the world in the fields of quantum science? Why would you abuse your power and influence to deny your congregants the right to discern for themselves how to go about their own health and healing? To dismiss the field of energy healing includes hundreds of modalities, both ancient and modern, that are being tested, researched, and validated in their respective fields. Yoga, meditation, acupuncture, sound healing, craniosacral work, polarity work, emotional freedom technique, hypnotherapy, breath work, and plant medicine, etc. (laughs) These are just some of them that I knew, all fall under the field of energy work. Energy work is defined as modalities that help to balance the energy throughout the body to alleviate stress ailments, and disease, including psychological imbalances. It is not enough to dismiss the validity of these modalities, but then you include the idea that it is wrong to pay money to experience these forms of healing. It alludes that they are some form of priestcraft or diabolical deception. It is supernatural and magical. What is supernatural and magical? Is your emphasis on the power of the patriarchal priesthood to bind family ties in the afterlife, to channel patriarchal blessings, the laying on of hands to bestow spirits and blessings, to, uh, to have visions, to perform ordinances for the dead, to have the dead visit in visions for the purpose of doing their ordinance work, and forms of bibliomancy. Then you reg- relegate these supernatural gifts to the priesthood, wherein only the male body of Latter-day Saints may perform these supernatural procedures. Even more disturbing is that you require 10% of one's income to fully participate in the LDS experience in the temple and with certain callings and privileges in the church. You must pay the church 10% to be found a worthy priesthood holder who can perform these ordinances, powers, and blessings. Surely you can see that some of this appears more like priestcraft than the paying of a facilitator for their services. Not only does this policy adjustment further disempower women who are entering these fields of healing, but it gives men permission to continue their narrative of being the only arbiters of healing and counseling without any training other than being a worthy man who holds the priesthood. Let's take a peek into the structure of your own magical practices within the church. When a patriarch is giving a patriarchal blessing, he is not only acting as a medium, but he's also channeling information from Akashic records. When you claim the privilege of doing baptisms for the dead, you're claiming to restore one's genetic line to be in alignment with the highest good. This is similar to the effects of past life regression for the purpose of healing multidimensional trauma. There's no difference between you asking the Holy Ghost a question and searching for the answer in the first random page that you open to in your scriptures than there is with inquiring of a tarot card reader or a rune reader. Your church is founded on the supernatural vision Joseph Smith had in the Sacred Gove. This same proclaimed prophet used a seer stone to translate ancient ancient Egyptian into English. He also employed the same stone to offer landowners his services to locate buried treasure. And he did this, you guessed it, for money. With all these supernatural narratives in the origins of your own religion that people are expected to believe and to align their whole entire life toward, should it surprise you that your culture has produced a body of magical thinking saints. The onus is on your church to draw the line between what's magical and what is legitimate for the members of, of your undue influence. Although the quantum field can be defined as somewhat magical, it is being backed by science of results. The magical of the origins of the LDS church, however, are not. It appears you are inadvertently discouraging your members to think too critically about their religion or their healing. Finally, and to be honest, there's a whole lot of room for deception in the healing arts and in religion. However, science is invited to the table to validate forms of healing. If one doesn't heal from one modality, they're encouraged to try another. But in your religion, science is denied access to prove your narratives. And if one doesn't get the results your religion promises, they're discouraged from trying another. Instead, they're taught to just try harder. One thing you have going for you is that most LDS members do not even know what is in the Handbook of Instruction for Leaders, even though, it is the very book that they will be judged by when they come in for an interview or a clerical council. But that is another e- issue that I don't want to explain. And I'll let Bill and <laughs> our found do that explaining which you've done really well. So I wanna, I wanna make a disclaimer here. The energy healing world in Utah with LDS women is a crazy circus. <laughs> it really is, I understand why the leaders want to put this out there to caution members, because their doctrines teach that the highest form of knowledge and knowing something is through your spiritual and your emotional um, faculties, (laughs) which we know now that that, that's not a very good way to understand whether or not something is true. And so these women and men that mostly women in the church are, are the ones leaning towards the, these more subtle ways of healing. Um, they will learn a little bit and then they start really leaning into these visions and emotions. And sometimes they, they craft up their own modalities and they create a certification and another woman goes to that certification and they think they're qualified to do healing when very little of it is backed by science. And so I understand where they, why they're putting this out there to caution people, but it delegitimizes all of it. And they are the ones that are creating this crazy circus of healing. I can't tell you how many people have come up to me and said, you know, I, I channeled Joseph Smith and I've been told that I need to do this, this and this. And that is an example of some of the fantastical and magical occult um, things that happen when it's all mixed together without any kind of regulation. And so I do understand why the church is putting putting um, cautioning members, but the way that they did it is very irresponsible because I believe that energy healing is the future. It is, we're starting to understand that everything is energy and this quantum world that we live in. More and more of it is being revealed and to discount it all (laughs) is very, you know, that's like 20 years ago. People were having to fight for the validity of yoga and uh, meditation and some of these practices. But they have sound healing in hospitals now. They have Reiki practitioners in hospitals. They have psychic mediums in big corporations. And so the world is starting to understand some of this uh, quantum Uh, Mechanics, but uh, and it's then because it's not regulated, yes, there is also room for it to be distorted and for people to ask of crazy prices for things that are have not proven results. So, what are your thoughts on that? (laughs)
4: I'll
2: tell you what my thoughts are. First off, uh, thanks for joining us. I'm getting the impression that there is a lot of activity going out there within Mormon circles, especially Mormon women in this area some with uh, uh, activities with, you, with which you approve, others with which you don't approve so much. Um, and that's important to know. The second thing is that uh, my impression is, and I wanna know if you agree with this or see it differently. My impression is that within Mormonism, this ability to heal has been claimed so much by the priesthood, i.e. by the men alone, and women cannot have the priesthood, that this has perhaps in some way led women who I think by nature are very nurturing Yes. And would like to heal and have um, access to supernatural uh, powers as much as men do. I think that's a fair way to say it. Um, And uh, that this is natural for them to want to try and find a way to exercise these gifts uh, in ways that don't conflict with the church that they believe in. So they're not claiming to do priesthood blessings. They're healing in alternate ways. And now the church, which has sort of put them in this position, now comes out in the handbook and Cuts them off. It doesn't give a caution, like you said. It doesn't give a caution. It just says, you can't do this. Yeah. And anything beyond prayer or proper priesthood blessings, properly performed, are akanwa, which is what we'd say in Japan. And it means kind of what it sounds like. Akanwa. You can't do it. It's absolutely forbidden. Okay. And that's is that, is that your impression? Both white women in the Mormon church are are, many of them are starting to do this. And now how the church is reacting to preserve its patriarchy and priesthood um, monopoly, really.
3: I I would agree with that. I I don't know. I think it's just a lack of education and knowledge about what's coming forward and about some of these modalities. And um, I I think what, what troubles me most is that I see a lot of these women developing legitimate skills, and then they're shut down. And when you are in the process of doing what your passion is and what you're good at, and you get shut down, it starts to create depression. And they get discouraged, they try to reroute when they feel like they've really been led to a healing modality that is effective. And so um, many of them will come and say, my state president shut me down. He says, I was practicing priestcraft and witchcraft. I was called in myself by the bishop when I was a member, um, you know, accused of being doing witchcraft in my ward and helping ward members. Um, and so, you know, I, I can see why a bishop would be concerned that, oh no, she's doing things that we aren't familiar with in the ward. And it's my responsibility as the, as the bishop to be able to, you know, make sure that everything is legitimate in the ward. But, but instead of learning about what it is I do, they just shut it down and they, it's just a, a lack of knowledge and a lack of education and because the fields don't have the regulations i think that's a problem too
1: yeah let me uh, let me jump in for just a second rfm which is that this comments come up a couple of times logan has said please push back on all the pseudoscience and energy healing it's fine to practice it but it's not scientific i've got a couple responses i know i know wendy you'll feel passionately about that answer but yeah, I I <laughs> for me one is that mormon priesthood is is pseudoscience and we can demonstrate that in the data and statistics within health, within highly Mormon areas, compared to or juxtaposed against areas where we know there's a very small Mormon population. So if we're going to say like, okay, here's pseudoscience and here's priesthood, we can't do that. I think as you're pointing out, Wendy, some of it is pseudoscience and you seem to be acknowledging that. Yes. And some of this has real value. And anytime you paint with a broad brush and you're saying, all of that's bad. And I, and I think there's a reason why Mormonism does it. When your magic isn't very good, you have to keep people at a distance from all other magic because all other magic is just as good or better. And so as you keep people at a distance from that magic, you keep them from seeing real spiritual experiences and how they can be had. And again, I'm not sitting here saying like, oh, this kind of energy work works and this doesn't. But I've certainly done enough research on conscious altering tools, on meditation, on yoga to know that those things have serious health benefits um, and also help people to deal with trauma and depression and um, PTSD as well. Yes. And, and so noting all of those, we just want to make the point, I think, in this conversation between the three of us that when you push away this giant field without being specific of what you're talking about, you reduce people's access to real help. And I will say, even for some of the pseudoscience, it may not be legitimate. Some of it may not be legitimate and it still may work. It may work as well as a priesthood blessing gives the placebo effect. And so when you keep people at distance from these things, I think you're only causing greater human harm rather than allowing people to use their own judgment and to seek out access to things that can help them get past health issues or trauma that's happened in their life.
3: I I agree. And I, I would say there's a reason that it's called alternative medicine. It's because it doesn't fit within traditional models. And people, they go to alternative medicine because the traditional models aren't working. And um, there are many alternative medicine methods that are working. They're integrative. They are they're being backed by science. Um, someone who says it's all pseudoscience just lets me know that they're not educated in energy and in the quantum fields. Right. And so to dismiss all of it is is not. It's we live in a world where it it uh, requires us to understand a little bit of how uh, we are bioelectromagnetic beings and all of us are interacting with each other. And there's a way to manipulate those energies for healing, for peace and for reconstructing the mind and the body in a way that will
1: promote healing. And and, and just to know, if people want to debate how much of that is real and how much of it isn't, all we have to do is find one instance of one thing, say meditation. I think most of us agree that meditation allows us to make deep progress inside our mind. Yes. Who we are and to develop and grow our consciousness into later stages of development. And every wisdom teacher I've known has pointed to meditation being their secret ingredient. If only one practice in this big, broad brush, thing that we're doing here in the handbook. If only one practice has serious health benefits and can be science-based and shown to be effective, then, then the point you're making, Wendy, is legitimate.
3: Yeah. Well, it, but the thing is, it's not just one. Even the greatest oh. atheists yeah. are admitting that meditation is a key point in in being able to alter states and create healing yeah. in the body. The, the science is starting to show up in favor of many of these modalities and thank goodness the science is starting to show up to reveal the pseudoscience ones too and so i think like you said to paint a a broad brush over all of it it is really it's disheartening to me
1: thank you wendy rfm any thoughts before we let wendy go yeah yeah i think that uh overall what this ends up being
2: is not only boundary maintenance by the church and uh but i also think that even though they don't they don't say that it's mostly women who are involved in this, that they've created this situation. I think at least partially created the situation by not allowing women access to be able to do priesthood blessings. And now they're shutting it off completely. I see it as a move that is very disempowering to women. And I can't imagine, by the way, you've spoken out very strongly on your Facebook page. You must be aware of the, a lot of other people who practice this a lot of other women who practice this are there people that you know of who are feeling the same way as you and we're going to keep doing this no matter what the handbook says which represents what the church says or are they are you know some people who are saying okay well i guess i can't do this anymore and i have to be obedient
3: so a funny thing i've had this week i had a friend uh, private message me and say "Uh, you're the talk of the town on this specific uh, anti-energy healing lds group and they were bad mouthing me, and posted what I had posted, and it was telling me that I was you know, leading everybody away from Christ and the prophets, and and going crazy. Um, but then the energy healers were also in a space where they're talking about how um, they don't—they're really discouraged about it too. Now, there's something I want to maybe introduce into the conversation. I don't hear it on Mormon Stories podcast. I don't hear it on here. I know Bill has talked a little bit about it, it's, and it's almost a waken. There is a whole underground world of energy healing women. It is exploded and nobody talks about it and it, it affects them. They're uh, women are trying to emerge spiritually and emotionally, and they have this ceiling put on them by the priesthood. And it really diminishes their ability to go in any other field. A lot of times they go in that field because they were discouraged from going into a career, you know, and going into law or going into politics or going into some, other kind of career. And so they can take a couple of uh, licensing programs that might take a year to get certified and be able to have a way in where they feel like they're contributing to others.
2: Very good. I okay. wanted to ask Perfect. you one other thing, Wendy. Thank you for bringing that up because the the news release last December about the changes in the handbook did not mention this particular section. And I'm referring to 38.6.12. I'm sure you know it well the number Uh, but it's under the occult they have a section under the occult wendy and it talks about you and here's what it says i want to get your take on this by the way were you aware of this yes or no No,
3: i'm not
2: good so we get your we get your response to (laughs) my response yes that which is of god is light the occult focuses on darkness and leads to deception it destroys faith in christ The occult includes Satan worship. It also includes mystical activities that are not in harmony with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Such activities include, but are not limited to, fortune-telling, curses, and healing practices that are imitations of the priesthood power of God. Church members should not engage in any form of Satan worship or participate in any way with the occult, which they have just described as including healing practices. They should not focus on such darkness in conversation or in church meetings. What is your take on that, Wendy?
3: Well, you just opened Pandora's box for me, because the reason I left the church is because in my own studies, what I feel is very insidious and what I would now label satanic, I guess, if you're going to believe in that being, is anything that denies us access to our full power and potential. And when you keep limiting a person's ability to access their originality and their authenticity and their own innate subtle spiritual powers, I believe that is more uh, satanic <laughs> than um, people that are are doing things like tarot readers. I don't know if you listen to a tarot reader; they're constantly calling in the light, and so they just, the church has this amazing way of thinking that they own the gospel of Jesus Christ and they fit it all in this category and anything outside of that is evil or bad. And to me, that is, that is more stifling to the development of a soul than any, than any kind of occult practice.
2: Yeah. Bill Tiffany says mystical activity, like, uh, Divining class and divining. Yeah. That's looking or divining because of course that's one of the problems that you bring up is this hypocrisy in this statement, especially well today, even with the, the requirement of tithing, but the church's foundation with the prophet seer and revelator who engage in activities that they are now condemning by the handbook as satanic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Fully with you RFM.
2: I'll get you a satanic mechanic.
1: There you go. So Wendy, thank you so much. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for giving us a few minutes of your time. And oh, thank uh,
5: you.
1: We're gonna we're gonna move on here to the next segment, but uh, I think you've given the listeners and viewers something to chew on.
5: Can we keep her okay. here for just a second? Just a oh, second. Sure. What do you well,
4: got?
2: I just want to expatiate on this thing that came to me today when I was thinking about it, um, and uh, this has to do with another instance where I believe that the handbook has now contradicted scripture. All right. Where it says no healing practices outside of prayer or the priesthood the priesthood has the exclusive right now to do healing blessings there's always been an interesting tension in the lds church about healing practices because on the one hand it is a uh, an ordinance of the priesthood but on the other hand it is also listed as a gift of the spirit and this idea about the gifts of the spirit and healing in particular is something that is so important in mormonism but it actually ends up being one of the very few things that you could point to that occurs in all four of the standard works. There's, of course, Paul's list in First Corinthians chapter 12, where he talks about healing among all the different gifts of the spirit. And he talks about it as something that this is what the spirit gives to each per to any person, uh, severally, according as the spirit wills or as God wills to give it. There's no intermediary of a person or a church picking who gets what. It's God who chooses who gets the gift of the Spirit. It's that same passage that goes on to talk about how, um, you know, the head cannot say to the foot, I have no need of thee, because we're all part of the body of Christ. So that's the Bible. That's the first standard work. Second one is, of course, it gets picked up in the Book of Mormon almost verbatim in Moroni, chapter 10, with the same language. It gets picked up in Doctrine and Covenants, section 46 as well. And it makes an appearance in the Pearl of Great Price, the fourth standard work, in the Articles of Faith. Number seven, which says that we believe in the gifts of the spirit as they were practiced originally, and it lists them out and includes healing. And, of course, these cannot really rationally be called priesthood because there's other things in them like the gift of faith, right? Well, the gift of faith isn't something that's given by the priesthood. This is something separate. It's a gift of the spirit. So we have this idea that there are priesthood blessings for uh, healing. We understand that. And that comes out of James chapter 5 but it's the epistle of James. But over here we have the gift of healing as a gift of the spirit and something that's very important. Well, what has ended up happening, I believe by this pronouncement in the handbook is now they have done away with this tension between the two, or actually I don't even know if there's a tension. It seemed like they could both live and operate in their separate spaces, gift of the spirit of of healing and priesthood blessings of healing. They could both do their own thing and be happy together in the body of Christ. But now what The handbook has said is that we've completely done away now with the gift of the spirit of healing that no longer exists in the LDS church, at least not according to the handbook, because the handbook says it can only be by well prayer or proper priesthood blessing. So now we've gotten rid of that gift of the spirit. We've gotten rid of all those passages and all four of the standard works. And once again, the handbook stands supreme and it dictates uh, what Mormons can and cannot do, even when it conflicts with Mormon scripture. Your thoughts, Bill? I should say your thoughts, Wendy.
3: Well, I, I see what you're saying. I, I do think in order to, to bring it all into a, a one agreement that they have to have a handbook because the doctrine, what Mormon doctrine is, is kind of all over the place. And so the handbook, I I agree with what you're saying. It seems to be the the short book of what Mormon doctrine is. Um, But there's nothing like a global pandemic to understand the effectiveness of the power of the priesthood to heal. How do you mean? Um, If that power of the priesthood was available to heal, um, we wouldn't we would not. We're noticing that the pandemic, it has no um, preference to whether or not a person is a member of the church and whether or not they've had a priesthood blessing, that their healing and their, their progress with the healing is the same as if you did or did not have a priesthood blessing. And so we're trying to still feel like that. It sounds like they're trying to still make priesthood power legitimate and delegitimize everything else. So that, it, and to me, it, it feels like they're just trying to beef it up and build it up, so that they don't have have to be responsible for um, for the fact that priesthood power just—it's it, not really any effective, anything effective other than the placebo effect, like what um, Bill had mentioned. So, one thing I wanted to point out is that because the doctrine is all over the place. <laughs> Energy healers and women who go into energy healing, they go through the scriptures with a fine tooth comb to validate what it is that they're doing. And they agree that it is a gift of the spirit. It is not exclusive to the priesthood because they want to validate what they're experiencing and what it is our soul is calling them to. Whether it's to be a Reiki master or to be a medical medium or to to be a massage therapist or a um a kundalini instructor, or whatever it is, that they feel so pulled into that, that they'll use the scriptures to validate where they're going with that. Yeah, very
1: much. Again, thanks, Wendy. I appreciate uh, appreciate this conversation. Rfm, anything else, or can we? We'll let Wendy go, and we'll. we'll no, absolutely. Wendy, thanks so much for coming yeah. on. I really appreciate well, you. having you. your it so insights. Fun. Yeah, it appreciate it. Fun. Have a great day. Bye
3: bye. You too. Take care.
1: All right, so
2: um, so now we're going to talk just about a few other things about the handbook changes, and then we'll go to calls. Right? I know. Yeah. There's a let me let me get through a talk couple of
1: these really fast. I'll be super quick. The let me put these up on the screen. So uh, I'll get rid here of the energy one, and so here we got the transgender issue. Uh, I just want to note there is a difference in how this is handled. So I won't necessarily read all of this. But if you read it, you'll notice that somebody who's investigating the church RFM, they can be found worthy to be baptized, and then the mission president, if all the other boxes are checked, can make a request to the to the brethren, the first presidency, for approval to move forward with baptism and confirmation. And um, just the idea that you have to ask somebody after checking all the other boxes indicates that there is room here that some people will be told no and some people will be told yes. On the other hand, if you are a BIC born in the covenant member of the church, then what they're saying in uh, that document right there is that there are certain ordinances in certain levels of acceptance that you can have in the church. And you're welcome to participate at those levels. Although you won't be able to attain everything that the church has to offer its other members who are not transgender. And so there's two ways of handling each human being, depending on whether they happen to be born to Mormon parents and they are allowed to participate to a certain degree, no matter what, and only to that degree, or the investigator who, after being found worthy and able to get baptized, Under all other conditions, but because they're transgender, they have to apply. The mission president has to apply to the first presidency. And some of those folks will be told no. In other words, there's a double standard. And you know there's a double standard simply by the fact that you have to ask. If you just said every transgender person investigating the church is free to be baptized and receive the Holy Ghost and can only participate at this certain level, then it would be the same as the born in the covenant member. But when you have them also apply for approval before proceeding, you you know just by that standard that some people will be told no and some yes. And hence, that is different than somebody who's born in the church. And I just want to note how unfair that is. Uh, any thoughts from you on this issue before I move to the next one? Oh, you're muted. You're muted, my friend.
2: There we go. Thank you very much. Yeah, just a couple things here because I did spend some time with this. It's very interesting language they use and they talk about restrictions that are placed upon uh, certain transgender members of the church, depending upon what they do. First off, they want to make it very, very clear that priesthood ordination and temple ordinances are received according to biological sex at birth. So they want to make that clear. If you're a boy when you're born, or if you're, however you want to put it, I may not put it the exact way, but I hope people understand what I'm trying to trying to get at. So if you're if you're born as a boy and then you transgender later, well, I don't. Can, you can still receive the priesthood apparently, but vice versa, if you're born as a girl, you transgender, you can't. You can never receive the priesthood. That's never going to happen. And temple ordinances as well apparently are received according to biological sex at birth. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what that means, because pretty similar ordinances between men and women anyway. But they talk about medical or surgical intervention. okay? because there's two main things that can happen. First, can look for medical or surgical intervention, to transgender, or they can just do it in what they call a social way, social transition, transition. In other words, wearing clothing of uh, something other than the biological sex at birth, to use their language. So church leaders counsel against elective medical or surgical intervention for the purpose of attempting to transition to the opposite gender of a person's biological sex at birth. Leaders advise that taking these actions will be cause for church membership restrictions, okay? So if you do that, there will be restrictions on you. And by the way, remember that church membership restrictions is now the term for disfellowshipment. Okay, that's what they call disfellowshipment now. So that's no operations or disfellowshipment for you. Then they talk about social transitioning. It's basically the same thing. Leaders also counsel against social transitioning. By the way, they use the verb twice, counsel. Right. And there's always this issue sometimes in the church. Well, you know, the leaders aren't commanding you to do this. They're just counseling you to do this. And the other side of that is, yeah. But when they say counsel, they really that they have teeth in it. you know. They're not just saying, hey, this is my opinion, to go ahead and do what you want. And I think this shows it because they say counsel, but if you go against the counsel, then there's gonna be membership restrictions on you. So it's much more than just advice when it's given by the leaders. So leaders also counsel against social transitioning. A social transition includes changing dress or grooming. Hmm, I don't know what that grooming part is. Changing dress or grooming. Dress I get, grooming's a little bit difficult for me. Or changing a name or pronouns to present oneself as other than his or her biological sex at birth. Leaders advise that those who socially transition, who socially transition, i.e., do this kind of stuff, will experience some church membership restrictions for the duration of this transition. As long as you're acting this way, then you're going to have church membership restrictions. And it doesn't say exactly what they are, but it does say now restrictions include receiving or exercising the priesthood you won't be able to do that if you are doing either of these things that they're counseling against it also includes receiving or using a temple recommend no temple and receiving some church callings now it's interesting because it doesn't delineate which church callings a person cannot receive if they are uh doing either the social transitioning or medical or surgical intervention it just sort of leaves it up in the air which i think is interesting And then it says, although some privileges of church membership are restricted, other church participation is welcomed. And then it drops it. It doesn't say what it just sort of leaves it up in the air. And I guess it's up to the state president or bishop to decide how much restrictions are going to apply. Um, But then it says if you're transgender and you don't do the surgical or medical intervention and you don't uh, dress differently or groom differently, and as long as you follow all the other commandments, then you can you can be accepted in the church and you can participate and receive callings. It says, it's kind of like the homosexual thing, right? As long as you pretend to be something you're not and don't act like what you are, then we'll accept you. Transgender individuals who do not pursue medical, surgical or social transition to the opposite gender and are worthy may receive church callings, temple recommends and temple ordinances. As long as you pretend to be somebody other than who you are, then you can be accepted in full fellowship in the LDS church because really form over substance is what is important. Appearances matter. Now, here's something that I noticed because there's also a conflict. This isn't a conflict between the handbook and scriptures. It's a conflict conflict in the handbook between the handbook and the handbook. You notice before when it says, um, uh, leaders also counsel against social transitioning. A social transition includes changing dress or grooming or changing a name or pronouns. Okay, that's why I emphasize that, right? Or pronouns. This is something that leads to uh, church membership restriction. But if you go down a couple paragraphs, It says if a member decides to change his or her preferred name or pronoun or pronouns of address, the name preference may be noted in the preferred name field in the membership record. The person may be addressed by the preferred name in the ward. So there, it sounds like it's okay, but I guess if you do it, maybe it's not a total contradiction. It's just a little bit odd. It's okay to do it and you can be referred to as a he or she or whatever it is you prefer but just know that if you're going to do that then you're going to receive membership restrictions. We'll or support you in calling you right? right. Yeah, we'll, we'll support you in calling you a different pronoun while we
1: usher you out the door. Yeah, it just seems like Mormonism is all about pretending and here's what I mean, right? Boyd K Packer said a testimony is gained in the bearing of it. So get up and pretend you have a testimony. Now I filled in the last part of that sentence, but it's the idea. Get up and say you have a testimony before you have one. Come into church all dressed nice Convey to each other that your lives are perfect. Meanwhile, you feel lots of shame because you know your life at home is a wreck, right? You know your marriage is not going well. You know that your relationship with your kids is in turmoil. You know that maybe things at your job or other places in your life aren't going that great, but pretend anyway. You go across the street and you knock on your neighbor's door to share a Book of Mormon with them. And you pretend that the gospel is so beautiful to you. Everywhere you go, you pretend. And so when you have a transgender person where they have not quite figured out the theology yet, right? Heavenly Father hasn't prepared the church leaders to address this issue fully. So the best thing we can all do is just pretend that you're not transgender and try to fit in and look the part. And if you insist on being transgender, we're going to let you participate at a very limited level to the point where you're going to feel shame every time you walk in the church building and try to participate. It's all about pretending, RFM. You're muted again. Sorry, my friend.
2: Here, looking through my notes and trying to find something desperately, which I can't find, but that's probably okay. Did you want to go on to the part about uh, reliable factual or incredible sources of information?
1: I I do want to get to that. I I know you want to, you want to get there and and you want to get some calls in. Let me do one more quick thing. The abuse one, which I've got up on the screen right now. If you look at this one, I want to, I want to note, there's a huge advancement here. Um, Right here, if members, if members, and I hate that damn LDS.org, but you see where I highlighted. So now that it goes blank, if members become aware of instances of abuse, they report it to civil authorities and council with their bishop. Before today, before this handbook happened, before this new adjustment was made, it was always talk to your bishop. He'll call the phone number. We'll decide how to handle it. For the first time in 2020, the church is finally saying, On equal status, you should tell the civil authorities and report it to your bishop. And the church is now, for the first time, I think, handling at least this particular tiny part of an abuse instance in a healthy way by telling people to go contact civil authorities.
2: Right. And this is, of course, a leadership manual, which the members are not going to necessarily have access to. I mean, they can look it up on the the Internet like we did. So they have uh, theoretical access right. to it and I think that is a positive step and I think it needs to be pointed out and I'm glad you did Bill I can't help but note that still for bishops if there is something confessed to them they are not to contact local authorities instead they are urged to try to get the 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 malefactor the guy who confessed whatever it was they did to get him to go to the cops right and to call that church hotline
1: yeah yeah Yep, absolutely. Now I'm going to skip really quick here to prejudice, only to note that this has been President Nelson's little puppy for quite a while. Um, I would just note here, it would go a long way, President Nelson, if you could just say you're sorry for the past church leaders and yourself and President Oaks and anybody else among the Quorum of the Twelve who has in the past made statements or gone along with and been complicit in church leaders in the past having racist views and touting racist doctrine, and nobody else can apologize for the church except for the First Presidency and maybe the Quorum of the Twelve, so the ball's in your court, chief. Go ahead and apologize. Just simply say, our leaders in the past messed up. We messed up, and we were wrong. And those of color should never have been treated theologically the way we did. And that would go a long way. And then you wouldn't have to talk about it again. You wouldn't need it in the handbook because it would have been said already. But you don't. And so you try to do this thing as if it covers all this up and it really doesn't anything from your RFM on this point.
2: Yeah, really quickly because of the church's background. I mean, it's like they're talking as if they didn't discriminate against black people for over a hundred years with priesthood and temple blessings. We all know about it, but when they, when they write this stuff, it almost begs for rejoinders. It's like a bunch of straight lines waiting for a punchline when it says all are alike unto him. Second Nephi 26, 33, Each person is as precious in his sight as the other, Jacob 2.21. You look at that and you go, those are from the Book of Mormon. Well, what happened? Did the Book of Mormon just get translated in 1978? I mean, haven't we had that Book of Mormon saying this stuff since 1830? How come, if, if that's the basis for not being prejudiced against people, how come the Mormons, who I think have a belief in the Book of Mormon, were prejudiced the way they were. See that we see what I mean about straight lines and, and punch yeah. lines? They they're yeah. begging for it. Then it goes on to say, prejudice is not consistent with the revealed word of God. Excuse me, because I thought President Oaks said that prejudice was the revealed word of God. That is the revealed word of God, as far as President Oaks is concerned, because he made it clear in uh, was it 2018 at the B1 speech, right? that this is something that God was behind. God was behind the priesthood ban. And this is the problem that President Oaks is in from my point of view, which is that it's either God or it's the leaders of the church, right?
6: Give Brother Joseph a break.
2: (laughs) Okay, but I'm just talking about President Oaks now, not not Brother Joseph, I'm talking about Brother Dallin. The deal is this, it's it's either the leaders of the church or it's God. And the problem is, is that if Dallin H. Oaks is right, that, well, let's put it this way, if he's wrong and it was the leaders of the church who were prejudiced and that's what called the priesthood ban, then the problem is relatively easy to deal with. Just say, you know, they were wrong. They were a product of their times. We got over it. We got wiser and we've moved past it. And uh, that's all behind us now, and we're sorry about it. Okay, that's relatively easy to deal with. The problem is, on the other hand, if Dallin Oaks is right, and that God was behind the priesthood ban, then this problem is a lot deeper. And the problem fundamentally is that Mormons worship a racist God. That's the problem if Dallin Oaks is right. So I hope that he will reconsider and put it at the feet of, mm. The leaders of the church and not at the feet of God, because things get really, really bad in quick order, if you put it at God's feet.
1: Yeah. At some point, as you're always pointing out in your podcast on Radio Free Mormon, if you continually are throwing God under the bus, eventually that catches up with you because you just make God an asshole and you make him the kind of guy that nobody wants to worship. And a guy who's always changing his mind and always saying, well, this was my eternal doctrine. And oh, wait a minute, 40 years later, Uh, sorry, I was wrong. Here's something new. God tends to be kind of willy-nilly and kind of a jerk, so not really worth worshiping.
2: And he gets all these tire tracks all over his white robes. It's very unattractive. Um, White and delightsome
1: robes that also the white and delightsome of the Book of Mormon.
2: (laughs) Well, here, I've been reading three lines to you that are from this article on prejudice. They're all uh, sequential. I'm not taking any of them out of context or, or going from one place to another. Here's the last line I'll talk about, okay? Favor or disfavor with God depends on devotion to him and his commandments, not on the color of a person's skin or other attributes. Well, at least up until 1978.
1: Right. Yeah, that's, that does seem contradictory to Mormon Mormon history, Mormon theology, and the way the church has framed this particular issue, as you pointed out, the B1 uh, conference with, uh, with Elder Oaks.
2: Yeah. And I actually I think I misspoke. I miswrote it. It's at least since 1978. That's true. But that same statement is completely untrue historically in the LDS church prior to 1978 or technically between 1852 and 1978. So when you're saying things like this that are blanket statements, uh, regardless of whether uh, I agree with it, and I would tend to think this is a positive statement and I give kudos to them for saying it, when you don't apologize for what you've done and you keep thinking that God is behind it, then you end up making statements like this that don't apply to the LDS church itself for the
1: majority of its history. Yeah, absolutely. Fully agree. Okay. This, uh, this last one here, RFM, let me X that one out. Let me put this up on the screen. Do you want to run us through what your thoughts are on this one? I want to see this because that's the thing I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the reliable sources. Now,
2: the LDS church is in a bind, okay? Because it is getting more and more difficult for them to come out and say, don't look at the internet, okay? (laughs) Don't listen. Don't listen to Radio Free Mormon. Don't listen to Bill Real, Don't listen to John DeLint. Don't listen to Jonathan Streeter and Evil Apostate. It's getting more and more difficult for them to do that. They've gone about as far as they can go with the Fair Mormon videos. But in official church literature, they have to be a little more canny than that and the way they've decided to do it is in kind of a milk toast way making a statement that nobody could actually have any dispute with and this is the main point what is it in today's world information is easy to access and share well that's true this can be a great blessing for those seeking to be educated and informed however many sources of information are unreliable and do not edify some sources seek to promote anger contention fear or baseless conspiracy theories Therefore, it is important that church members be wise as they seek truth. Okay, so here it is. Members of the church should seek out and share only credible, reliable and factual sources of information. They should avoid sources that are speculative or founded on rumor. Well, who could who could argue with that? Who could argue with that uh, in any field that we should only look at credible, reliable and factual sources of information? Now. The problem with that is, is, of course, I spent over 200 episodes of Radio Free Mormon now showing how the Mormon church doesn't do that, how this description does not apply to the LDS church. They are not credible. They are not reliable. They are not factual, at least not 100% and substantially less than 100%. But we've got a great audio clip here. And this is from Mormon land a couple weeks ago. And they had a guy named Michael... Austin. And he's on there. He's in academia. He is the vice president of student affairs, I think it is, at um Indiana. Uh Evans, is it Evansville University? I, I think it might be. Okay, university. Anyway, he's he's vice president there. He um he teaches the youth in his ward, at least uh, you know, when it's not COVID and when he can go to his ward, that's his calling. He's done that. He has lots of dealings with kids or college-age kids in his job. And the main point of the entire episode was for him to comment on the Fair Mormon videos, the TITS videos. And in a nutshell, he does not find them persuasive. I think that's the best way we could put it. But toward the end of the interview, this is the part, okay, Toward toward the end of the interview, the subject kind of shifts over to the church's propensity to hide information from its members. And one of the things he says is that, you know, most members of the church, most young people, Uh, They don't leave the church because of something Joseph Smith did 200 years ago. What they leave the church over is finding out in the here and now that the LDS church has been concealing this information from them and hiding this information from them. And they feel that sense of betrayal by the LDS church and its leaders who they have been taught to, of course, revere and trust and never criticize. So something that happened 200 years ago because of the way the LDS church has been dealing with it ends up becoming an offense and a problem today in the lives of people. Does that make sense, Bill? Yeah. Yeah. And then they talk about the manuals for church, for teachers, for students, the the regular manuals we have throughout the church. And he makes a very interesting comment. This guy knows his stuff. He's a faithful member of the church. Uh, He's read lots of stuff. go ahead and listen to the interview. You'll get a feel for him, but he gives his opinion about the manuals today that this is not something that the church used to hide information, but now they're not. The church used to lie about its history, but now they're not. No, it goes on today in the current manuals. And he has a wonderful way of putting it, which makes me laugh every time I hear it, because he puts it in the nicest way possible. And yet you'll hear that the result and conclusion is the same. Do you have that tape?
1: Yeah, I've got it. So I would just preface the soundbite with, who is who is the least credible where is the least credible source what is the least reliable place to get your information and here's what a faithful Latter-day Saint uh, has to say uh, as you always say RFM uh, roll the tape
0: i think that the the current church curriculum is a big problem the, the the youth Sunday school and I am a youth Sunday school teacher in my ward if we ever meet again. <laughs> uh, I teach the 16 to 18 year olds. Uh, that has been my calling for the last four and a half years <laughs> and uh, these kids are smart. They are they can be talked to. They have questions, and I think that uh, the church youth curriculum, and frankly, the church adult curriculum, does not do that. It it still presents a very very whitewashed um, history, and it it presents a, a very very unrealistic view of the scriptures, and it it. Uh, it people who look at that curriculum and feel that they've been lied to or that things have been covered up um,
1: are are probably not entirely wrong. (laughs) So, so if the church is saying in its handbook, RFM, uh, right there, wait, wait, I put it off the screen, but in that handbook, if they say you need to seek reliable, credible and factual, credible factual information, and the church's own faithful teachers are saying, if you think you've been lied to in the current manuals, and you're probably not entirely wrong. No, it's like you cut off the branch that they're sitting on. Oh my goodness. And, and really, the church wrote that thing so that people would stay away from listening to people like you and me. But if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, the one thing you and I really aren't accused of is lying and being dishonest about the material that we share.
2: Well, RFM, the R stands for reliable and the F stands for factual. Reliable, factual Mormonism down in the bunker. Yep, absolutely. Because that's where I got to be. Otherwise, you know, because if they get a beat on me, they got smart bombs and I won't be long for this world.
1: Yeah, you know, you and I put out a ton of work and nobody goes, you know, that Bill Real, that that RFM, they're lying. They're just, they're, they're, their facts are wrong. They're getting them from anti-Mormon sources that's just, you know, again, excuse my language, that's bullshit. Uh, The reality is that the Mormon church is the worst at whitewashing, at withholding, at obfuscating, and at flat out being deceptive about its history. And you even had a believing member there in the audio softly, nicely Mm -hmm. say it.
2: He says, yeah, if if people look at the manuals today and and think that the, the church is still lying and hiding its history, then they're Probably not necessarily wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we're,
1: not, we're Not wrong. That's a that's a that is a uh, that's that's a good soundbite there. I think I'll add that one to the permanent stuff that we uh, use going forward. Um, anything else you want to do before we get to some phone calls? You know, there's only there's actually several other things, but can I just say one thing that really
2: shocked me? Please, uh, I was actually going through this, not just the changes, and I don't think this is a change. I don't know that it's a change, but it's under abortion. And it says the normal stuff that we figure would be in there. That you know, you don't get an abortion. There's three exceptions to that, but then it says this very interesting thing. Let me find it here. Okay, I got to find abortion. Abortion comes before abuse in the alphabet. I'll show you, I'll you a little
1: secret. We'll do this on the air. A little secret. If you put Control F, yes, on your keyboard, and then start typing abortion, it will do a search for that keyword keyword in the document on your screen. Are you kidding? I don't know. Put hit Control F. We'll do this in real time. This is this is real real teaching our a trick, as he's taught me plenty. This is Control F. Control F.
2: Function or just Control F?
1: Control and a letter F. Now type in abortion. Yeah. Hello. Look at that. You are amazing. You're so smart. Thank you. Thank Uh, you. You know, just things other people have passed on to me. I just sharing my wisdom with you. So.
2: If I see further than uh, others, it is because they stand on the shoulders of giants. (laughs) That's right. Here's what it says it goes through all the stuff about abortion. Go to the very last sentence. This floored me. As far as has been revealed, I'm quoting now, as far as has been revealed, a person may repent and be forgiven for the sin of abortion.
1: What? As far as has been revealed, read that again. As far as has been revealed, a person
2: may repent and be forgiven for the sin of abortion. So I'm going, so maybe they can, and maybe they can't. We don't know.
1: We only, we're guessing at this point, we only have a little bit to go on. God may change his mind or reveal new things. If he does reveal new things, we'll just blame it on him changing his mind anyway.
2: I know when you're talking about, I mean, we're talking about a person's eternal soul here. (laughs) You know, (laughs) if you can't repent of a sin, then you are toast And I don't want to get into this whole thing because I think this stems from the whole idea about blood atonement and shedding innocent blood and whether you can be forgiven of it and about abortion and is this innocent blood. And they don't go through all that, but I think that's that's sort of looming in the background. But as far as has been revealed, a person may repent and be forgiven for the sin of abortion. So we're not really sure. And I guess this isn't really important enough for us to go to God and like ask Hey, can a person be forgiven for abortions? Because right. we're writing that, we're, we're writing the handbook now, and we'd like to know one way or another whether a person who gets an abortion can be forgiven, or whether they have to welter in hell for eternity.
1: Don't you think it's funny that God God spells out coffee and tea to the finest detail, every jot and tittle. He's got masturbation down. You know, he sent Boyd K. Packer to go give that talk. But but God isn't really that concerned with. The race issue, it took a long time. He's not really – finally, in 2020, we're dealing with transgender folks and LGBT folks, and suicides are happening, and there's a global pandemic. And all God can do is reveal the mundane stuff that really doesn't matter.
2: Oh, my gosh. Absolutely, you are right. Hashtag give thanks.
1: Hashtag give
4: thanks.
2: All right. Uh, We probably better go. I I mean, talk calls. By
1: the way, do you have that clip from Boyd K. Packer as well about – factories? Uh, Yeah. Hold on a second. I think I can pull that up. It's going to take me a moment and I'll just make some things and say some stuff. Right. Let's see here. Let me increase my sound. I love this. I love that you got this clip from the Boyd K. Packer archive. I pulled this off of BYU's audio. Here it is. Play play the the, the audio. Mormonism live. Better than touching your own little factory. (laughs) There he is. Boyd K. Packer himself. Maybe there Um, is revelation in the church. Yeah, maybe there is. Uh, Yeah, we won't get into who's touching whose factory and and when they did it last. We'll just leave that be. But if you do want to join Mormonism Live, would you please call now? 435-200-FIST. 200-FIST, everybody. 435, that's the area code for Southern Utah. And 200-200-FIST, otherwise known as 3478 four, three, five, 200, And you will be on Mormonism live. It's, it's kind of hard to believe it. We'll wait here for a call to come in, but it's hard to believe RFM that the church puts in its handbook. It wants its members to only seek out reliable information when it's the least reliable place to get its information. That to me is bewildering. It's hilarious. It's funny. Um, but it's also a little, a little arrogant. Um, Yeah.
2: Anyway, at a minimum, I think it shows an astonishing lack of self-awareness. We got a call. We got a live one. Oh, are they going to be able to hear me? Do you know? I'm sorry. He's talking to them. Go ahead. My job is to make Bill's job as difficult as possible.
1: All right, RFM. We've got our first call. I believe it's Phil. Uh, Phil, what are your thoughts on some of the things we've been talking about tonight? So I wonder how you
0: guys deal with the fact that in the church, you know their doctrine definitely takes a post-mortem approach to issues. So saying something like you know uh, about whether it's transgenders or blacks uh, and the way they've been treated historically, they really I, I think they lean into the fact that their claim would be God will deal with that after the fact. You know they can be as racist not not currently they can have leaders in the past that were ultra racist or currently anti-LGBTQ and God will sort that out after they can basically excuse modern and past imperfections with a, uh, you know, a, a post-death justification.
1: Yeah. So my, my thoughts, my thoughts, Phil, is this that the church seems to have a propensity for allowing its leaders who state who say stupid shit to be able to die first before the church will be accountable to what those folks say. And so when you have certain leaders in the past who have said incorrect stuff, they kindly let that leader die and have everybody who's currently living have a different opinion of that because now they unified in a unified manner. They now present something new, which means everybody in that room no longer believes the thing that used to be so that you can now come forward with the new thing. And so everyone who in the past stated that point or taught that teaching or um, shared that doctrine. Uh, or shared that disavowed theory has to be able to pass along uh, and it kind of gives them the chance to save face. But meanwhile, and I think to your point, meanwhile, great harm is being done and God, the God of Mormonism seems to be perfectly okay with suicides. He seems to be perfectly okay with sexual trauma. He seems to be perfectly okay with the sexual abuse that could occur by having just one leader in the room, and what he seems to be deeply concerned about is energy healing, coffee, tea, masturbation, and whether we follow the jot and tittles of the church handbook. RFM?
2: I could not say it any better than that. Bill, bravo. Bravo. I will say that it's not just these these other things. I mean, it's Honestly, there there are many people who are happy in Mormonism and God bless them, I wish them all the best. I was for about five or seven years and I kind of outgrew it, but I didn't realize it because they wouldn't let me realize it. No, you can't graduate, no, you gotta stay. You gotta stay in first grade forever. But I think that to a large extent, Mormonism does this more and more. They put off happiness and joy into the next life. In this life, you've got to just bust your hump for the church, you gotta sacrifice your family, Um, and your relationships with your family. I know they don't say that, but that's what it ends up being. That's another show. I've talked about it on podcasts before, but whenever the choice comes down to choosing your family or choosing the church, it's always, you need to choose the church. You've got grandparents going on missions, multiple missions. That's a good thing as opposed to staying, you know, around their grandkids and having part in their lives. That's just another example of this phenomenon, but it's all with this idea that you sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice now for the church and everything's gonna be made up for you in the hereafter. And if you're homosexual now, just pretend you're not now, and apparently you'll be changed and made heterosexual in the hereafter, so it's not a problem. And same now for uh, transgender people, apparently. It's all sort of, if we just pretend to not be who we are in this life, then when we die and are resurrected, then we'll be changed to actually be who we're only pretending to be in this life.
1: Man, what a, what a rat race that sounds like. Yeah, um, yeah. Remember about the rat in the, ma- right, a rat
2: in the maze quote, right? A rat in the maze is free to go wherever he wants. So as long right. as he stays
1: in the maze. As long as he stays in the maze. Absolutely. <laughs> and with that, uh, we've got Megan on the phone. Megan, uh, glad to have you on Mormonism Live. Welcome to the program. Uh, what are your thoughts tonight?
3: Thank you so much. And thank you both of you for all the work that you do. We've really appreciated it. My uh, my question that I'd like uh, you to discuss, if it's possible, and that family members of mine have hit upon, is that we are a church of continued revelation, and that is something that they hold tightly onto, and I'd like you to address that, if it's possible.
1: Yeah, we will. We'll do that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for, for the call. So, RFM, it is it does claim to be a church of modern revelation, and yet... How many sections of the DNC have been added in the last, uh, you know, fifty years? Oh, you're muted again, my friend. We're gonna, we're gonna.
2: I do that because I, I'm making all this noise. I'm writing yeah. things. I'm doing other undescribable things that I don't want the audience to hear. My, my, mute, and my cents, I forget.
1: My two cents is the audience would much rather tolerate the sound of things going on in the background and be able to hear the beautiful voice of Radio Free Mormon.
2: <laughs> was not the voice I'm
1: worried about, actually.
2: <laughs> but no, no, not for the last 50 years, not for the last 100 years. Uh, section, section, one. section 138, yeah. right?
1: 138. 1918. Is that Joseph okay. F. Smith or something? In the- yes, Vision of the yeah. day, Absolutely. That's the last thing historically. And even Vision. when they've had things happen since then, they've been afraid to put it in the DNC out of fear that something else might shift and change. You don't want to be locked in. Uh, on these revelations. So then we start doing declarations, right?
2: Proclamations.
1: Proclamations and declarations. Yeah, you've got right. it.
2: Right. Right. Proclamations. We're Now we're big on proclamations and trying to establish doctrine that way, or just say the same thing that we said a hundred times before, put it in a proclamation and all of a sudden, wow, it's big news now. This is Bafo box office. But I would ask, it was Megan, right? Megan, I would answer that with a question. And I suggest you could, ask this question to your, your family or whoever says, but the church is run by revelation. This is a question that was asked to me a number of years ago. And all of a sudden it opened my eyes. This is the question. What would the church look like if it were not run by revelation? And it might look just like it does. (laughs) That's that's my conclusion. If the church were not run by revelation, it would look exactly the way it does today.
1: (laughs) Oh, Exactly um we've got randy on the phone randy uh randy what are your thoughts tonight uh here you are on mormonism live welcome to the program
6: awesome glad to be here i've called before wonderful to talk to you fine gentlemen again uh i, got, I do have a thing and i do want to get your feedback on but i do want to say something real quick first um i love you guys chemistry and you've got it and i love uh you know rfm's like got the comedy thing going and bill you're like, you're on board, but you're a natural street man, you know, you guys have a great chemistry, but every now and then RFM's uh, comedy doesn't hit, and you guys are talking about lap track, but here's here, I got it cute up here, here's RFM's track that he needs, so every now and then, they don't hit, right, there's jokes,
2: here we go We got the cricket soundtrack
6: Yeah, I hope you can hear it, it's cricket, sound. that's what you need, you need a cricket button for when they don't hit that's all I'm saying Perfect, here's by that, the way, way. Um, here's him here.
2: bud, I'm Custod uh,
6: I I I've taught lots and lots and lots and lots for almost four decades of classes and church and everything. Uh, I spent almost almost 40 years of my adult life as a member. And um, I've noticed, and I was, I was been mad about it for several years, actually, a, as a TBM, the church uh, materials that you teach from, they used to have what I thought was some substance to them and then they became the the lamer and lamer and and thinner and thinner and very generic and blankety and the last uh been out a, a couple of years now but the la- i was teaching you know before that and uh, the manuals you get like the um i don't what i don't remember but you get like a set of five lessons to choose from maybe it kind of is a general outline and and three out of five of those are lame and let me give you an example. One that stuck in my mind is like, you're supposed to teach about 45 minutes on this. Okay. It's like, a,
1: yeah, the come follow uh, me. curriculum.
6: Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. But, but one, one of the lessons is like, how can I help others learn about the gospel? It's like, man, these are tough kids. You know, I, I, I got combined classes. These are tough kids. I'm not going to teach 45 minutes on this. So I had to get pretty creative. But anyway, uh, and with your, both of your experience, uh, I know that you, uh, you've been in a while and you know, what's up with uh, the materials. But haven't you noticed them just getting more generic and and weaker and weaker? It's just like weak tea, yeah. uh, no no Mormon pun intended. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's what I was wondering because uh, that's what made me uh, came to my mind. I was I was watching the show. Love your stuff. Uh, please keep the show going and um, keep up the good work.
1: Thank you, thank you very much. Appreciate the uh, the phone call. Rfm, we used to do lessons where I think Hugh Nibley, like and other people, wrote the manuals, yeah. and we were allowed to kind of go off wherever. And there was so much broad discussion. This is before my time, by the way. And then we get into the kind of Bruce R. McConkie era where we know answers to everything. So we can talk about everything, but we have all the answers. There's not really room for discussion. Uh, We're just going to state what these answers are. And now we're to the point where we don't know anything. We don't have any answers. We need to be as um, broad and ambiguous as possible uh, because we now don't want to put our foot right in our mouth.
2: Oh, yeah, it's very, very thin gruel. I think the Hugh Nibley manual you're talking about was an approach to the Book of Mormon. I think it was published in 1970. Ironically, Joseph Fielding Smith was the president, but I expect it was in progress before that. So it's probably while um, David O. McKay was president since he passed away in January of 1970. Anyway, yeah, you actually could learn things. I mean, they were faith promoting, but it wasn't the same old stuff. I just got finished reading Oliver Twist, you know, and it's like, it, it's thin gruel, what we have today, and all you can think of is Oliver standing up in front of the guy at the ladle and going, may I have more please? Right. And of course you've got President Nelson going, more? You want more? And then pretty soon he's walking in through the streets singing, boy, boy for sale, and you're out of there. If you ask, if you want any, if you want anything more, no, you're, you're at the wrong place. You're barking up the wrong tree. And hopefully these jokes are hitting.
1: I'll, I'll tell you this RFM regards to your jokes. You're, you're well-informed, you know, uh, literature. You're always on the phone with me and I'll bring up a topic. And within a second's notice, you connect that topic to something that was said in one of Shakespeare's plays. You're well-read and not just in Mormonism. You, you, you're well-read in lots of books. So when you tell jokes, They're jokes that you have to know the source from which the thing came from. And most of us aren't as well read as you. And sometimes I do know the joke and it's funny, but I'm too busy trying to put another screen up that I can't pay a hundred percent attention. So for those who aren't getting the jokes, my two cents is maybe you got to read more Shakespeare. Maybe you got to, you know, get more into English literature and uh, the romances and um, you got to be as well read as RFM is brush up your shakespeare boy that was tough what's in this coke anyway
2: brush up your shakespeare start quoting him now brush up your shakespeare and the women you will well i'll keep singing well i think
1: he's got another call there i do i've got i think it's robert on the phone robert welcome to mormonism live you are on the program with bill real and rfm what is on your mind tonight my friend
5: Hey, you're talking about the handbook, and I missed the first hour, so maybe you talked about this. But in the section on abuse, it says that by policy, all members who become aware of abuse must report it to the bishop.
4: So that means
5: there's no criteria. So that means that if you're a doctor and one of your patients you suspect is being abused, you're supposed to go Mm. to your bishop to tell him. If you work in a hospital and you see somebody who's been abused, you're supposed to, by policy of the church, go to the bishop tell them. If you're a teacher and you suspect one of your students at school is abused, you're supposed to go to the bishop. It makes no sense. Why, you know, under what situations or criteria are you supposed to go to the bishop when you become aware of abuse? They don't say
1: Right. No, no. I think you bring up a great point, Robert, because we were talking about one side of the coin, which is, isn't it great that they're now asking people to uh, go call civil authorities and report the abuse? But you're pointing to another side of the coin, which is that everybody, regardless of their station in life and what their responsibility is to the secular world in terms of abuse, they are to go tell their bishop. And you're right. The handbook seems to indicate that every member of the ward who encounters abuse is to go tell the bishop and there are some secular legalities to where that's not appropriate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate you pointing that out. That's a, that's a big point that RFM and I did not catch that I think needed to have some attention drawn to it. So thank you so much for the call. So I think Robert made a great point, which is you don't want a doctor or a psychologist or a therapist or a counselor at school feeling the need to go talk to the bishop as a priority, but rather to handle it through the normal, secular, uh, deemed appropriate ways of handling these abusive um, discoveries uh, outside of the church.
2: Yes, and I think that in pretty much every state of the union, those different kinds of people, doctors and counselors at school are mandatory reporters to the government anyway.
1: Right, but they they shouldn't be going back to an ecclesiastical leader when they're discovering it in the secular world. Let's say it's a doctor, let's say it's mm-hmm. a it's a psychologist. And they're sitting down with yeah. a kid and both the kid and the psychologist are in the ward. We wouldn't want that that psychologist feeling pressure to go tell the bishop the story too. It doesn't make any sense. And yet the handbook seems to indicate that that's what they should do. Um and I've met I've met members before RFM who See the church as the kingdom of God on earth, and anything it says is priority over these worldly experts who are a rung lower, or maybe several runs lower, than the ecclesi- ecclesiastical leaders of the church.
2: Uh, people could do that. I just want to add that if a doctor gets this information, or a psychologist, or a mental health counselor, or whoever, and they're a mandatory reporter to the government. Yeah, if they go to the bishop or anybody else and start disclosing. Uh, stuff that's otherwise confidential,
1: then they could get in a lot of trouble and perhaps yeah. even lose their license. Yeah. And and yet you don't see the church make room for that kind of space. It seems to see itself on par with, yeah. uh, with the civil authorities. Yeah. Um, so anyway, good phone call from Robert there. Uh, we'll take one more. We'll take one more phone call here and uh, we'll wrap up Mormonism live uh, on January 13th. And that call's coming in right now. RFM, if you want to buy me a second, I will
2: buy you a second. I'll buy you two seconds. I won't sing any more songs, but I did just get oh done God. reading the book, Oliver Twist. And, um, you know, I've read some other things by Dickens before. This is not one of his best works. It's probably one of was more famous because of the musical Watched the musical also. So I could figure out what the heck was going on in the book, but you know, it's really not that great a book because really Oliver Twist doesn't really do anything. All he does is like, you know, ask for more at the beginning of the book, everything else happens around him. There's other characters, great characters like Fagan and oh Bill Sykes. And, other people like that they all do the action. Oliver's just kind of this guy who's just gets moved from place to place and then kidnapped here and kidnapped there and then finds out who his, his mother really is and has this inheritance and you know everything's wonderful at the end. But that's my that's my take on Oliver Twist. That's my 1 minute book review.
1: There you go. Love it. And I love how well read you are. Every conversation you and I have during the week um, and we talk at least a couple times usually, and you're always pointing out all this stuff that you've read and, and you're not doing it like, Oh, I've read this. You just, you see a connection, you, you say a funny line and some of these things I know and some of them I don't, and I consider myself somewhat well-read. I, I read a lot of, especially children's literature when I went into, uh, college to be a elementary teacher and I took a lot of English lit classes and children's lit classes. And I read a lot of the classics, but you're just so well-read. I think, I think the audience would do well just to know that you come to the table with a lot of experience and um, a lot of self-taught education that I think comes in deeply handy, both in your podcast and as you try to essentially be a voice to help others uh, deconstruct and reconstruct their spiritual lives. So I appreciate that, RFM.
2: Thank you very much. I do tell people that I'm spending the last half of my life or last quarter of my life trying to read all the things I was supposed to read in high school, but did not. And actually the only reason I read all this literature in Shakespeare is just as fodder for jokes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. C- cool. That's, no, all that's all it is. Just fodder for jokes. And, and so people start getting the jokes, damn it. Um, Nick, we've got you on the phone, Nick, you are the last call on Mormonism live tonight. Uh, what are your thoughts tonight? Cool.
5: Well, uh, I just had the question. It occurred to me just in uh, what we're discussing here with the um, with the changes in the in the language in the handbook, and specifically the LGBT issue, um, I'm seeing a pattern with these doctrinal issues. and and I, I think it's obvious. we We take a real hard stance, um, it's set in stone its doctrine. Then over time, there's a softening and, and as societal you know, pressures and other things mount. Science, um, <laughs> science. Yes, sir. Uh, we, we've got a we've got a softening of the language, we, and then and then slowly the, the the road is paved for you know major major shifts and major changes. So I guess my question is just where are we in the in the uh, time frame? Um, I, I know there's the joke that the church is always thirty years behind, but I'm just curious to get your input? Where do you think we are? What's the time frame on this LGBT issue? When are, when are we going to see that um, change?
1: Yeah, appreciate the phone call, my friend. Thank you. Thanks. So kind of ending on that note, where's the church at? I think it, it is where it is, and it is 30 or 40 years behind, and the world is going to keep shifting and moving. We're going to have less racist in the world in 10 years. We're going to have less homophobic people in the world percentage-wise in 10 years. And the church will just be another 30 or 40 years behind wherever we are at that point. So where's the church? It is where it is. Um, it but it's just not ever going to be caught up with the world on any of these on any of these issues.
2: hmm Well, I can tell people when they ask me how their case is going to end up all the time, I have to tell them my crystal ball is no better than theirs is. I have a little bit of experience and maybe can make some educated guesses but i cannot tell the end from the beginning um however however the church is always very much there's a huge fight that's going on in the church right now in the top leadership and i think we've seen it exhibited in a number of places but the fight is between those who want to see more progress uh more conformity with um outside influences and i'm talking about women's role in the church. And I think we're seeing a lot of concessions being made in that regard. Is it as fast as we want? Is it as much as we want? Probably not, but they are steps in that direction. I mean, my goodness, we've got talks now and I think it's in the handbook now about women exercise the priesthood, you know, what power do they, they don't hold the priesthood, but they exercise it. And what's ending up happening is I think that the church is, is getting, trying to get, trying to throw some meat to people, right? Without going all the way, but what they end up doing is making it closer and closer to the point where there's it's just almost the same. When you're saying women, women uh, perform, what was it callings uh, by the power of the priesthood? You're almost saying that they have the priesthood. Now they're saying no, they don't have the priesthood, but you're getting so close that it's very easy to make that that switch down the road, and I expect it will happen. I can't say how how long down the road. I will tell you that women getting the priesthood. Uh, is easy compared to homosexuals being accepted fully in the church. And that is because the church since Brigham Young's time, not Joseph Smith's time, but since Brigham Young's time has ended up developing a cosmology, a soteriology of you have to have heterosexual sexual relations in the eternities that is sanctioned by an eternal marriage in order to have spirit offspring and then create your own worlds and populate them and go through exactly what we're going. Now that has become what exaltation means in the LDS, uh, view of things. And because of that, they have got no way to come up with an idea as to how homosexuals together forever can possibly be uh, exalted. Just can't work with that theory. And I did do this podcast on, I keep pointing people back to it. I hope that the um, strengthening church members committee, who do listen to this program and do listen to my podcast, Hi, Elder Dykes, big shout out to Elder Dykes, one of my favorite people in the church, by the way, Um, and that he'll pass this on, which is that according to Joseph Smith's last teaching in the King Follett discourse and in the book of Abraham, by the way, which I think we consider scripture, unless the handbook trumped that as well, but spirits are not created. There is no birth about spirits. They have existed forever. And what Joseph Smith says is that God seeing himself in the midst of spirits, finding himself in the midst of spirits, which have existed forever, by the way. Saw fit to institute a program or whatever so that they could progress to be more like he is. They've always existed. And once the church can at least get around the idea that that is one way that spirits are I almost said created but that's the wrong word that that there are at least some spirits if not all spirits that are not generated through the heterosexual relationship in heaven then we can find a way for homosexuals to be accepted fully in the church all we have to do is actually get just get back to joseph smith's teachings on the subject and the way is open before you and i hope that they'll do that
1: yeah the intelligences were always always were right they always were right and and by the way i know we, we shift to
2: intelligences those are synonymous in Joseph Smith's parlance. And in the book of Abraham, it says spirits. Spirits, they they existed before, they existed after. They are no nolaum or eternal. There is no creation about them. So uh, it was later on with B.H. Roberts, where he says, oh, intelligence is one thing and spirits is another thing. And then he tries to bring them together into what Mormons kind of understand today in sort of a hazy, amorphous way. But spirits have never, ever been created according to Joseph Smith. That's why he took off his ring, right? There you go, took off his ring.
6: Joseph a break.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And he says, if you cut this ring, you give it a beginning, but at the same time you give it a beginning, you give it an end.
1: Right. You can't have that.
2: Anything that has a beginning will also have an end. And it's the same thing with spirits. And that's why he preached on the the eternal nature of spirits. And if we can get one eternal round, it does. It looks like one ring to bind them all.
1: I'll join fellowship.
2: Yeah. Bring them all and in, in the darkness, find them, right? Okay, anyway, uh, so that's what I have to say about that. And I really, really think that if the church just got back to that, then they could find a way to accommodate homosexuals on a full basis in the LDS church. And I think that would be a great thing to do.
1: Yeah, I saw us reach tonight, RFM. I was looking at how many people were watching this uh, this live stream. We got up to 185. And mm-hmm. also, so that's growing. And then also in our Facebook group, Mormonism Live, uh, on Facebook. Over the last week, there's been about 100 new people that have joined. About It's been uh, about 15 a day. And so we're up to, I think, somewhere around 250 people in that group. If you want to join there, the conversation certainly happens there. And you can comment on the various presentations that we're doing, the various live streams that we're going through. But I also hope that you guys will start having your own conversations in that uh, in that space. And and uh, talking about various things that are coming up in Mormonism. Um, RFM, it's always a pleasure to sit down with you and to have these conversations. Uh, it's been a lot of fun to, to do this, and uh, I'm just excited to see this thing continue.
2: Thank you so much, Bill. I'm really excited about this. I love the live format. I love the comments. I love the callers. I love the listeners. I love everybody. My heart is full of love, and I look forward to next week, and I'll. it's going to be up to me to come up with something. I already have a few ideas bubbling around in my head. We do look at your suggestions. We want to follow those as much as we can and have this be sort of this um, this group effort and what we present.
1: Love it. Man, that's, that, that's what it's all about. We're all collaborating and uh, dissecting Mormonism uh, kind of together as a, as a group of people who share similar things that have happened in our journeys. So this is a lot of fun. Yeah. And two weeks ago, I never thought we'd be talking about energy healing tonight, but here we are. Here we are. Yeah. I've got some ideas too. This is going to be exciting to get into these uh, episodes that are upcoming. RFM, you're the host next week in terms of leading the discussion. I'm excited to see what you come up with and to help make that episode uh, a great uh, a great end product. For everybody listening and viewing, uh, appreciate each of you. Until next week, this is Bill Real, And this is Radio Free Mormon. With Mormonism Live.